Chapter 33 Atlantic Ocean, somewhere slightly closer to America. Sunday, 5.22 p.m., 1695. Peas porridge again? Lordy, Kit moaned. Tell the captain I'm ready for dinner with him any time. You should be happy to be fed, my dear, the Duchess scolded regally, dipping her finger elegantly into the tepid mush for a taste. And please, Aaron, do tell the captain I would also be more than happy to dine with him. Perhaps in the future he'd prefer a girl with a more genteel background. Only Aaron, of all the men aboard, showed any real concern for the lady's well-being. Delivering meals, repeatedly shooing the second mate away, and acting as a go-between for the crew and the indentured. However, there was one man aboard Aaron had no choice but to defer to, and that was the captain. Therefore, when the captain commanded Aaron to bring the most comely of the women to his cabin one evening to dine with him alone, he had no choice. With great sadness, he approached the door and pulled young Lizzie from her companions, leaving the others with their standard evening fare and jealous conjecturing. Don't be daft, Una spoke up in her strong Norse accent as soon as Lizzie was gone. She's not being invited for dinner. She is dinner. Una was a beefy, capable, no-nonsense woman with a total lack of tolerance for bullshit Marcy admired who had been stolen from her Norwegian home, traded to a rival clan, sold across the English Channel, deserted, then arrested for vagrancy. When Lizzie returned later that evening, her face stained with tears, she would only comment, Chicken was lovely. I am honored to have been invited. Told you so, Una huffed, before rolling back over to sleep. This routine was deployed several times over the next weeks, with a different recipient returning to state the meal was delicious, sometimes divine, and it was an honor to have been invited. Marcy was starting to think perhaps she'd overlooked something of the captain's conversational charms. When Una was chosen one evening to dine with the captain, the women anxiously waited for her return, sure she would tell them the wretched truth about the captain's chicken. Yet morning came and Una didn't return. Aaron shrugged and looked nervous when they inquired into her whereabouts. The following evening, Aaron pointed silently to Marcy from the doorway as the others gasped, incredulous. Why is that so hard to believe? Marcy spat indignantly, rising to her feet. Aaron led her to the door of the captain's quarters, pushing her gently inside with a sad look of encouragement as he shut it with a sigh, more worried for the depraved captain on this particular eve. Marcy lingered sullenly just inside the oak door of a cabin dominated by a large map-covered table and a huge bed swinging from chains with a plush Persian carpet on the floor beneath it. Captain Maddox sat regally at the foot of the table, nursing a real glass of real wine candles casting shadows across the paneled walls. There was a succulent smelling golden baked chicken on the center of the table, a steaming bowl of potatoes beside it. Marcy's stomach growled audibly, though she held herself straighter under the captain's scrutiny. I read everyone's report. I see you are a thief and a whore, 
he stated in his nasal, condescending tone. Just a thief, Marcy corrected him. There was no whoring. They said when they captured you, you offered to service the bailiff on the street, in front of God and country, he went on. The merchant ripped my shirt when I fell. I wasn't trying to seduce anyone. A likely tale, the captain sniffed, his steely eyes raking Marcy up and down. So, tell me about yourself, Mrs. Finkel, and don't make it a habit to lie to me. I need to know exactly what I've bought and what I'm selling. Well, in that case, Captain Maddox, Marcy laughed, stating conversationally, I've traveled here from the future, where I worked as an administrative assistant in a large international firm. I was deserted here by my douche-nozzle neighbors, where I am now stranded, hundreds of years before I was born, in an awful, dirty, misogynistic place I can't escape without a time machine. The captain stared at Marcy for a moment before chuckling. Oh, a scholar. Please. He motioned for Marcy to sit in the chair on the other side of the table, which she did, her eyes distrustfully never leaving his. The captain eyed her suspiciously, placing his steepled fingertips beneath his nose, before changing the topic abruptly while using his index fingers to point to a small tub of clean water on the floor by her feet, a cloth and soap laid beside it. I bet you'd like to wash your feet. You must be filthy. You ladies generally are. Then you may have all the chicken you can eat, and you simply need tell the others that the chicken was lovely, and you were honored to be invited. I'll not have any ridiculous mewlings from the rest of them over what is so clearly a benefit. Do you understand? Good girl. Now, wash your feet, both of them. Get them very clean. You know, I'm good, but thank you, Marcy deflected. I'm sure they'll bathe me before they take me to market. Oh, I think you will. I think you should wash your dirty little piggies. He sniffed the air deeply, frowning at Marcy's leather-shod feet. Marcy eyed the chicken on the table, quickly assessing the cost of her continued defiance versus the reward of solid food, frowning disapprovingly before looking the captain dead in the eye as she leaned over in her chair and slowly, resentfully, kicked off one shoe, realizing the other girls hadn't been crying when they'd returned from dinner. They'd been laughing. That Captain Perv here. She hesitantly rolled down one scratchy woolen sock, bearing a dirty second ankle, and with a yank, her entire foot. She pulled her other shoe from her other foot and removed that sock, tentatively sticking a toe into the footbath at her feet. Forgetting the captain for a moment, Marcy focused on the simple pleasure of clean water sluicing it around her feet and ankles before lifting her eyes to meet the captain's, expressionless, while vigorously scrubbing her feet. The captain at once transfixed, his chin resting on his hands, a dreamy look in his eyes, his breath quickening to a worrisome degree. To be fair, despite Marcy's many deficiencies from the waist up, 
Her legs and feet were happy surprises, comparative even in modern times. An impressive collective of taut thighs and calves atop small, pale, translucent feet, perfectly proportioned and topped with shapely pink healthy toes and pearly nails. A foot fetish's fevered dream. Captain Maddox was immediately besotted, falling to Marcy's feet, caressing them, pulling them to his body, and holding her calves so tightly with her wet feet pressed into his armpits that she thought her knees would crack. He leaned back, attempting to press her toes into his face. Marcy recoiled, struggling against his rigid grasp, kicking her feet to pull them from his stranglehold. I am a married woman, Captain. Clutching her feet to his chest even more tightly, the captain moaned, his eyes misting with tears. I must make love to your feet, Marcy Finkel. They are divine, and I am so lonely at sea. Marcy tried to stand, pushing the captain's shoulders with all of her might in an attempt to untangle her legs from his maniacal embrace. But as she pulled her body back, she lost her balance, tipping back in the chair head over heels, her feet swinging out as she flailed for balance, the right foot striking the captain's temple with a solid thwack. His head flew back, smashing against the corner of his great oak table with a thunk, the rest of his body collapsing like a sack of flour upon the plank floor. Marcy landed with a thud on her back, her legs pointed skyward, her skirt falling into her face where she lay, stunned. For a full thirty seconds, her ears ringing from the impact to her skull, before rolling out of the upended chair, slipping on the planks of the floor where the footbath upended, as she rose to stare down at the captain's prone body in shock. She leaned down to check his pulse, and, discovering none, frantically searched the room for a mirror, which she found in the captain's shaving nook, holding it under his nose with shaking hands. Nothing. Oh, for fuck's sake, Marcy muttered. She crept to the door, opening it just a crack despite Aaron nearby, standing watch. Aaron, Marcy whispered furtively. Closing the door softly behind him as he entered, Marcy joined him as he stared in horror at the captain's inert body a small trickle of blood oozing from his slack mouth. He's had a fall, Marcy explained, twisting her shaking hands. Aaron's knees went weak with fear, which slid through his body like a cold snake. He didn't know this crew, and they didn't know him. As a foreigner, that was more than enough to implicate him and the captain's murder, though as he stared down at Captain Maddox's mottled face, he was hard-pressed to muster any sympathy for his untimely passing, as it was Aaron who'd carried Una to the infirmary just two nights past, after refusing the captain's chicken, her face and shoulders a map of bruises and welts. This no good, mum. Aaron assessed glumly. We have trouble. Marcy warily agreed with a nod as she eyed the Persian carpet, promising with hollow cheer. We can fix this, Aaron. I know we can. We just need a plan and some luck and some... You know what? Fuck it. We're just going to have to improvise.